0: Good morning. Again, it is just my pleasure to be with you today. Um, I just think it's really—I'm kind of a word person, and I appreciate words. And it's just—it's just so neat to me to have Steve Hill and you know Mr. Rogers and all these wonderful music musicians. What they say has lead is leading right up to what I'm saying, and I just. I think it's great the way that God just kind of works things out. So, where it all matches, you know, I'm a matchy, matchy kind of person. (laughs) So, Pastor Jim has been uh, talking to us about the nature and the function of the church as envisioned by a man who planted a lot of churches. The Apostle Paul traveled thousands and thousands of miles in the first century and planted churches all the way across Asia Minor. These little churches generally met in homes. They met in the the houses of the early Christians in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica, in Colossae, in Ephesus, and yes, even in Rome. Most of Paul's letters are written to these little house churches to guide them and teach them and to encourage them when they were all trying to do the same thing, and that was to live as Christians in an extremely secular society. While most of the believers in Ephesus were Gentiles, that is, Greeks and Romans, there were some ethnic Jews in the little house churches as well, who had been converted either by Paul or one of his fellow missionaries. The Jews had all of their Hebrew ways— Like their laws, their traditions, their sacred places, sacrifices, rituals, all of those things. But the Gentiles, they didn't have any of that. They worshiped a completely different set of gods in completely different ways. Last week, Pastor Jim told us about this entire, this huge, giant chasm that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jim referred back to Ephesians 2.14, which speaks of a barrier and a dividing wall of hostility. Okay, let that sink in. Do you see that today? Barriers and a dividing wall of hostility? People, if you haven't felt that, you've been living on another planet for the last two years. I have never in my lifetime felt and seen so much galvanizing hatred in our society as what I sense today. One of the problems that we are facing in America is that too many leaders are stirring up hatred and fear among the people. They stir up animosity by telling us to avoid the other side. Watch out for the opposition, because you never know what they're going to do. The political and mental and emotional divisions in this country are devastating. We've got your Democrats and Republicans, black, white, rich, poor, Arab, Jew, Christian, Muslim, liberal, conservative, vaxxed, unvaxxed, Bronco fan, Raiders fan, Right? Really, seriously now, um, I, I do think that hostility does put up barriers. Unseen barriers block our family harmony, the workplace cooperation, and yes, even agreement among God's people. Remember that we learn to hate. The flames of hatred begin in our childhood when we are taught to be against people that we don't know, the other side. To combine oil and water, to unite two enemies like the Jews and the Gentiles, someone needs a plan. It has to be just. It has to be foolproof. It has to benefit everybody. The two opposing sides needed to recognize something or someone bigger than themselves. And that... Is God. Ephesians two twenty one to twenty two. In Him, that is Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of God, and in Him too are being built together to become a dwelling, a dwelling, in which God lives by His Spirit. That's the plan. In fact, only God can come up with an enduring, abiding plan. From the very beginning of time, it was God's plan to be in a gracious, loving relationship with human beings. The Jews were his chosen nation, that is true. But it was their responsibility to live the kind of lives that would lead all people in the whole world to faith in the one true God. However, well, that sort of didn't work. (laughs) In view of human nature, God knew that it wasn't going to work. God knew that people would be stubborn and rebellious. He disciplined the nation of Israel over and over again. He redeemed them over and over again. Eventually, it was necessary for God to do something radical. So he sent his son to earth to bring about the full reconciliation and redemption. That was the only way, the only plan that could save his relationship with people. This radical step, this plan, this suffering Messiah sent to save the world was genius. No human being could ever come up with such a paradoxical plan. God intended to build a new house out of the rubble, out of the ashes of unfaithful humanity. It was to be a house filled with people, people who would love him and serve him, and then love and serve one another. And of course, God's plans can never be thwarted, not by anyone at any time. So that takes us to the letter of Ephesians. Paul may have founded the Little House Church in Ephesus. It was his home base in Asia Minor for between two and three years. He knew the people well, and he loved them. We know that from the book of Acts. Later, he wrote his letter to explain to this church, to explain the role of Christians. What is the role of the church? What is a Christian supposed to act like? within a culture that knew very well the dividing wall of hostility. The first two chapters of Ephesians is the story of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. Today, you are a part of that story. We are the Gentiles. We are the redeemed. People, we are the church. So let's begin chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7. Paul opens chapter 3 with, For this reason, I, Paul. And then there is no verb. (laughs) We don't get a verb in that sentence until we get down to 3.14, where he repeats the same thing. For this reason. And then he says, he kneels before the Father. Just take note of Paul's position as a prisoner of Christ. Christ. A position of humility and reverence and respect for God. 3 1 for this reason points back to 222, which we have already read, to the revelation of the inclusion of Gentiles into the family of God. Paul then specifically uses the first person I and goes on to tell all about his calling to ministry and his ministry. He tells his readers that he is imprisoned, probably in Rome, for their benefit. And that he is bound to Christ, who called him to preach specifically to the Gentiles. The church is a community of believers and a dwelling place of God. In John 14, 23, the gospel writer recounts the words of Jesus... And Jesus said, Anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, my Father will love them. We will come to them and we will make our home with them. That is, the love of the Father cannot be separated from the love of the Son. And the two of them sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, to take up residence in the hearts of believers. God has made his home, his dwelling, in the hearts of the people who love Jesus and obey his teachings. People, that's the church. Back to Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. In Ephesians 3, 2, the administration of God's grace is merely, basically, the understanding of the gracious plans of God. Paul was commanded by God to be the steward of his gracious plan and to reveal it at just the right time. In three three, we come to the mystery of, God's, of Paul's mystery. For some people, the mystery of Paul's mystery is still quite a mystery. But Paul said a gracious God revealed his mystery to him, to Paul. Well, this is really intriguing to me. What mystery was revealed to Paul? What secret did he know that he was told to reveal to others? Hmm. Have you ever been part of planning a surprise event, like a surprise birthday party for a spouse or something like that? You know that you have to keep it a secret until just the right time. And finally, at the right moment, the secret is revealed. In the meantime, it's kind of hard to keep that kind of thing a secret because that big reveal is so exciting and so exhilarating, it's just hard to keep your mouth shut. In a lot of ways, I would like to think that that's the way that Paul thought about the exciting news that God had a plan to redeem and include the Gentiles, into his plan of salvation. We first hear about God's mystery in Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. He, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Surprise! The great plans of God have finally come to fruition. Now, in three five, that which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Hmm. Actually, God's saving activity began before the creation of the world. 110. And his timing of this revelation has all been a part of his plan from the very beginning. Ultimately, it is the plan of God to unite all Christians into one body, one house, regardless of their backgrounds, of their ethnicity, of their station in life, one community, one church. One dwelling place of God. As shocking as it might seem, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together of the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse six. God does keep his promises, they do not go unfulfilled. Again, in a flashback to two nineteen to twenty-one. Paul told these Ephesian Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, that's the Jews, and also members of his God's household, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In the Roman world, citizenship was really, really important. It was very hard to maintain. It was hard to get and hard to keep. And the fact that the Gentiles were now citizens with the Romans in the house of God was amazing. Now, if we turn to 3.8, 8 through 13, we discover the why of this mystery, this divine mystery that was finally revealed to Paul. God foreshadowed this mystery in the past in the Old Testament prophets and in the New Testament apostles. But I think it's really interesting that God chose a man who was the least of God's people, verse 8, to announce this amazing disclosure. Remember that at one point in time, the humble apostle was Paul the Pharisee who delighted in persecuting the Christ believers. But a gracious God saved him, redeemed him, turned him around, filled him with his spirit, and assigned him to be the messenger to the Gentiles. So think of that. Think about a pharisaic Jew who has been sent to take the gospel to his former enemies, the Gentiles. Hmm. It was Paul's job to make plain the stunning, glorious plans and promises of God through Christ Jesus. 3.10 His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, past tense, in Christ Jesus. That is, in the ages past, human rulers and authorities and even the angels and what we call the heavenlies, the spiritual beings, had no idea what was going on. They were clueless. God did not reveal his plans to them. But behind the scenes, behind the cosmic conflicts of good and evil from eternity... God has been actively working out his eternal purposes and his plans, which culminated in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 11. The wisdom of God was revealed in the cross of Christ and the efficiency of his saving grace in the lives of believers. And it shakes up all conventional ideas of wisdom. As Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, this is in 1 Corinthians, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since the wisdom of God, the world through his, its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's a little confusing But the message itself is not foolishness. That is, Christ crucified. It was deemed foolish by the world who didn't understand it, the Jews and the Greeks. With respect to this divine plan of salvation for all of humanity through Jesus Christ, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter, he said, even the angels... Long to look into these things. So let's go back now to 3, verses 8 through 13. Things kept hidden in God are now made plain. Paul unfolds God's profound, wise plan for the community called the church. All people, united together, all redeemed by the cross of Christ... It was to go into effect at just the right, proper time, which would then impact the entire world, the entire universe, with God's wisdom. In 310, the word manifold does not reveal the enormity of God's wisdom. In Greek, This word denotes a multifaceted, multifarious, multi-purpose of God's wisdom. One scholar calls it the kaleidoscope of God's wisdom. So think about a kaleidoscope. Remember the kaleidoscopes that you held up into the light and you turned it around and you could see these amazing colors and designs that all came together in one beautiful design. God's kaleidoscope wisdom has been made known to us in many, many different ways. First, we see his kaleidoscope wisdom in the world, the creation around us. Then second, it was made known to us through Jesus Christ and the cross. Right now, it has been made known to us through the diversity of people coming together As one house, one community, we are made one in Christ. Right now, the task of making known the wisdom of God is not up to Paul alone. It's up to the church as well. The church is to be the channel through which God unveils all of his wisdom, his plans, and his purposes. United together, this all-inclusive community in Christ, of which you are a part, is a new building of God's people called to show to the entire universe the kaleidoscope wisdom of God. As the church declares the good news of God's salvation in Christ, and as the people of God live out this good news As a unified community, all of heaven and earth will grasp the wonder and the truth of God's wisdom. This, my friends, is the why. Why did God reconcile us to himself? He did it because he wants the church to reflect the true wisdom of God on earth. Think about now And eternity. The effective headship of Christ in the United Church today is a preparation for the ultimate assumption of the headship of God over the entire universe someday. We will experience the final reconciliation of Christ according to God's eternal purposes that have already been accomplished. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 11. And we, the people of Christ, can assume an essential part of this plan because we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 12. It is rather staggering, really, to think about that as our responsibility. We are called to reveal the wonderful mystery of God His salvation and his reconciliation to the entire world, natural and supernatural. How do we do that? How in the world do we do that? Well, you all know the song. And they know we are Christians by our political position. No, I don't think so. You're right. By our love. It is by our love. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jim highlighted four qualities in Ephesians 2, which can be characteristics, good characteristics of the church. Love, mercy, grace, and kindness. Okay, write those down on your shirt cuff so you can remember them. Love, mercy, grace, and kindness. People, we need to love each other. Okay, then we can love the unlovable. God's wisdom is not anger or hatred. His wisdom and plans for the church are not antagonism and injustice and prejudice and judgment. The job of the church is to demonstrate the love of God by acting out His love towards others, by showing mercy and grace and forgiveness especially when it is not warranted. We are to show respect and kindness even when it's very, very difficult to do so. As a community of believers, we are one in the Spirit, and we are not to be divided. Let me say that one more time. We are not to be divided. We're going to hear more about this in chapter 4 of Ephesians Paul goes on about being one in Christ. Indeed, people are watching us. Even the spiritual beings are watching us. As we demonstrate God's wisdom every single day of our lives. How do other people see God except in us, in believers? In Christ, united in our faith, empowered by that spirit within us. We can be the house. We can be the dwelling of God on earth. So be encouraged, church, because we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us and guides us and bonds us together as a body of believers, even or maybe especially when we are going through suffering. Verse 13. A pastor friend of mine in Denver tells a story about Carol. Carol is a Jewish woman. She's a doctoral student at a very prestigious secular university in physics. And she is someone who has investigated all kinds of worldly religions. She made an appointment to talk with my friend, and she had two pages of questions for him. Now, that's intimidating. For any pastor to have two pages of questions, how in the world was he going to answer all this? But finally, it was his turn to ask her questions. And he said to Carol, You are Jewish, and Jews don't often consider conversion to Christianity. You're a scientist, and most scientists are either agnostic or atheist. And you're someone who has investigated a lot of the worldly religions. Why? Why are you thinking about conversion to Christianity? Carol's answer was simple. It's because of the Christians that I have known. They live so differently from others. They love each other. They they even loved me in ways that I have never experienced. When I saw them, when I see who they are, I was intrigued, and I still am. A year later, my friend baptized Carol as she confessed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love, love is the evidence for the truth of Christianity. Love is the evidence of the wisdom of God. So I leave you with this question. Are we living the gospel message today in a way that draws people to the Lord? Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much for bringing the Gentiles into your family. Father, please forgive us when we are trapped into the ways of the world, when we give in to the fear and the anger and hatred and the corruption that is around us on a daily basis. It's hard, God, and we really need your help. Help us to be patient Enliven your spirit within us so that we can be vehicles of your love. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through his Holy Spirit. Amen.